Good morning. It's been fun so far, right? Uh, so far, so good, since I've only been talking for 30 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I know some of you might be thinking, is she even qualified? The answer is no. Um, <laughs> the answer could be no, but I will say I got my local minister's license this week. So I'm kind of qualified. I'm sure that makes a lot of you feel better than my degree from Arizona State, um, uh, which, whoop, whoop, fork them. But um, I got it in justice studies, and it took me five years to complete. So I'm on a good track here. But thank the Lord that he uh, qualifies the call. <laughs> and uh, I'm just so blessed to be up here to be able to share with you today what he's put on my heart um, and the journey that he's taken me on. When I think of the fact that this is the first Sunday of the fifth year of renovation, um, I actually have a couple pictures, I think. Do we have them? Um, This was, I took it, it's kind of hard to see. I took this on Friday. I came up here, and it was about sunset. And just looking back over um, just the years and, and the blood, sweat, tears, and laughing and dreaming and crying it takes to to be here right now, and the people that it takes to be here, and people that are here, people that aren't here, Um, but that God has been moving through our whole story to get us here to this day, but it started (laughs) um, at this fire pit out at Usury Pass, if it's up there. Um, This is holy ground for our family. This is where um, I was out here on Friday morning on our fourth birthday as renovation, and just praising God for how far he's brought us. And this started around the fire pit with my family and just dreaming about what we would one day call renovation. We didn't know it was 24th Street Project, and then it moved into renovation. So pardon our, our mess. We are under renovation. And uh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, but that is, I, as I was looking back over that, and I was trying to find something in my journal— And I'm going to hold tightly to this. Do not steal this journal. It is not pretty. I'll tell you that much. Um, This journal of mine spans over four years, because I was that dedicated. Uh, (laughs) It spans over four years of, um, of pain, of heartache, of being lost in the wilderness. And then it leads me up to this one entry on July 17th. 2012, says, standing on this mountaintop, seeing just how far we've come, knowing that with every step you were with us. This was right after we, Josiah and my dad and I, went um, up to Pine, and my mom, I think, if not, you're into the story now. You're welcome. Shout out. Um, But, (laughs) and it's just like, this was 2012. And yet now we're standing here today saying, look how far we've come. Standing on this mountaintop, seeing just how far you've brought us, God. It's the story. We all have a story, but I will tell you, my story has not always been like that. But now I look back and know that he is faithful. And he was with me. He never left me. He never forsake me. No matter where I was, no matter how lost I was, no matter how broken I was, he was there. And that's the only reason I'm standing here today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. And I'm going to just hide this back here. Josiah, don't do it. Uh, (laughs) 
So the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Shadows and Light. And it's this concept that when a shadow is cast on an object, it looks a whole lot larger than what the object actually is. So when we shine the light on it, we can see it for what it is. And then I got the privilege. (laughs) Uh, My dad came up and asked me about a month ago to talk on the subject of guilt and shame and the shadow of guilt and shame in our lives. And I have lived this out, and I was stuck in it for years. And I said, huh? (laughs) You want me to do what? Because that sounds like a light, fun sermon. Um, And uh, I I prayed about it. I stepped away and I prayed about it because, you but he said, I've I've taken you through this. You've already found the freedom. You've found joy. Now share that with others. And that's what I'm here today to do. And since it's my first and maybe my last sermon, (laughs) we're going to start from the beginning. So go ahead and get Genesis. Open it up to Genesis. Um, We're going to camp on Genesis 3 for just a moment. And um, we're not going to stay here very long. But before we do that, um, I think that what we need to do is understand. I think I need to explain to you the differences between guilt and shame. Um. So often we kind of use those words interchangeably, right? Like, oh, I just feel so guilty, I feel ashamed. But there is a difference between feeling guilty and feeling full of shame, feeling shameful. And once this understanding in my life about a little over a year ago, when I understood the difference between the two of them, it was a game-changer moment. It was a game-changer moment when I can identify what I was feeling and how to deal with it. So what we want to do is first... Guilt, and I think I have this, guilt deals with broken law. Okay, so sin is brokenness. So guilt deals with broken law. Shame deals with broken relationship. Okay, so when we break the law, when we break a code, when we break a rule or a commandment that the Lord has set, um, or somebody else has even asked us not to do, um, if it, whether it's a wife, husband, parents, whatever they ask you not to do and you choose to do it anyway, you've broken that that law, that code. And then in a sense, you feel guilty about it because you disobeyed. Shame, on the other hand, deals with broken relationship. So then all of a sudden, instead of just saying, I disobeyed, it's like now they, um, they think I'm unworthy. They don't think I'm enough because now all of a sudden, like, I didn't obey what they put, in, put into place. So guilt deals with broken law. Shame deals with broken relationship. Guilt is connected to our behavior. Shame is connected to our identity. When we are guilty, we feel bad about what we've done. When we feel shame, we feel bad about who we are, how others, how God, how we might perceive ourselves. And I feel like we need to understand these two so distinctly because these both come from sin. So as a result of brokenness, as sin, sin is the root of the problem, right? We, we can get there. We can go back to Genesis in every sermon, really, if we want to camp on the fact that sin is the root of the problem. Out of the root, there are, in this case, there's two fruits today, and it's called guilt and shame. So sin is the root. Guilt and shame are the fruits. Guilt, that is a healthy guilt, a healthy guilt. There's a difference, and we'll talk about that later, a false guilt. Healthy guilt leads to conviction. Conviction shows you the problem, what went wrong, what law, code, or commandment we have broken, and leads us to confession. 
Shame leads to condemnation. Condemnation shows us the problem and continually points out what a failure we are. There's a difference here. Guilt, when we walk out of here and we feel a little guilty, maybe that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of something. Okay? When we, when we feel that, we're like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. Ah. If we walk away saying, wow, I'm just awful. We come in here on Sunday morning sometimes, and if we're feeling like, oh, man, I've just been beat up. I've been, I'm not good enough. There's nothing I can ever do, say, or whatever that will, will I'll, I'll never get there. Where they're wanting me to go, I'm never going to get there. That's condemnation. That's a brokenness in your spirit. Say, Lord, okay, if I'm feeling this, maybe there's a guilt there that you're wanting me to confess. Maybe there's a sin there that you're wanting me to confess. So there's a difference between conviction and condemnation and living under the brokenness because Satan wants us to feel what a failure we are so we refuse to get back up and to keep on moving. Brene Brown puts it this way. She says, I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Are we starting to let that sink in a little bit? Shame and fear will always go together because fear, when we have fear, and we'll see this as as we enter into the fall in the garden, fear makes us afraid that we're going to be alone, that we're disconnected. We were made to be in community. We were made to love. We are made to be in community with God and with others. So whenever shame sets in, fear sets in that people don't understand us, and we start to step back from that. We start to feel a disconnection. We're afraid that people aren't going to truly love us for who we feel like we are and where we are. So since it's really light today, (laughs) um, just remember, and this will help you out, guilt is our do. Guilt is what we do. Shame is our who. Guilt is our do. Shame is our who. And this all stems from sin. So let's jump in to Genesis. I said to turn to three, or maybe I didn't. Now I just did. Um, And we're going to look actually back up to Genesis 2.25, the verse right before we get into three. And it says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. I honestly, this morning, I was about to throw this whole story out and start something new, which I ended up doing for the second half of this, but I felt that there, there was, God put on my heart that there was a specific purpose for the word shame in this. Okay, this was before the fall, before they ever ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's saying, okay, well, they felt no shame. They were completely exposed, completely naked in front of each other, in front of God, and they felt no shame. It wasn't that they felt no guilt. They didn't feel discontentment. They didn't feel anger. They didn't feel, um, or maybe it's, they felt joy. You know, man and wife, they were naked. They felt in love. They felt joy. They felt peace. They felt... um, at home, I don't know. But there's a specific reason, if you believe, which I do, that every single word of this Bible right here, this book, this precious book, is God-breathed and there for a purpose and a reason. Why in the world was shame mentioned before sin ever entered into the world? Perfect relationship between God and his creation. 
between man and wife. They felt no shame. And we jump into verse 6. At this point, the serpent is to the woman and just saying, you know, why can't you um, have, or did he really say that you can't eat from the tree? And she's like, yeah, well, I know where that tree is. It's in the middle of the garden. I mean, she's like, it's beautiful fruit, all this other stuff. She knows exactly what it looks like and where it is, okay? So this was before the fall. Temptation is still there before the fall because God created them, although perfectly he created them with free will. And we jump into verse 6, and it says, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and it looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, who was with her, and he ate it too. You get a woman up here preaching, she's going to make sure that you see that line in there. (laughs) She gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. So he didn't say anything. Because he didn't say anything and he gave in, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. In that very moment, it wasn't the guilt. The guilt had to set in because they knew something was wrong. But what they felt stronger than anything was the fact that now there was broken relationship between them. They're standing there next to each other thinking like, Oh, what just happened? Why do I want to cover up? All of a sudden, I'm stepping away from you, and I'm like, where are the biggest leaves I can find? I need to cover up the exposed parts, the intimate parts, the vulnerable parts, and and move back. So all of a sudden, when shame enters the picture, you start to hide from people. You step back, and you cover yourself. Moving forward... In verse 8, it says, when, when the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? A common thought is, God, don't you know where they are? You know, we all think that. Or we think, hey, where are you? Like he's coming at them all upset. No, no, no. He's like, where are you? My son, my daughter, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And they hid. So first they hid themselves between each other, and then God comes into the picture, and they're like, "Mm, I'm going to take another step back behind the trees. So now we have two divisions, two layers that happen. When shame sets in, we start stepping back. We start disconnecting the fear that somebody might actually see us for who we feel like we really are. He says, son, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Once again, fear and shame go hand in hand. You're afraid that somebody is going to see you exposed. And God says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? In this moment, God gives him the opportunity to confess his sin. He says... Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Please just confess your guilt, confess your sin, and come to me. I just want to talk to you about it. Have you done these things? And he's like, Adam's reply was, instead of one, a confession of guilt, and saying, Lord, this is what I did, he goes, oh, well, it's the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and then I ate it. It was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and so I ate it. So in this instance, in this moment, he's saying, 
just stop looking at me. It's not my fault. It's actually your fault that I'm even here in this moment. It's actually her fault that I'm even here in this moment. So he's not taking responsibilities for the actions that he's taken. So he turns to the woman. What have you done? God asked. I rephrased that one, sorry. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, he replied. That's why I ate it. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Again, here we are. God gives her an opportunity to confess. She's feeling guilty, but she doesn't take the opportunity just to sit down with her creator and say, God, yeah, I did this. I'm so sorry. But no, she says, no, no, no. That person, that that serpent, who, by the way, she had no problem that he was talking to her. So apparently they talked before the fall. And she's just like, no, he deceived me. He deceived me. It's his fault, not mine. I might be here right now, but it's over there. What we can take from this whole story is that sin had broken relationship. When it set in, it broke relationship between themselves and who they are, who they thought they were. That image bearer of Christ, of God, who, who stamped it on their souls that had been broken because sin entered the world. Then they were broken between each other. Relationship between others was broken. Relationship with God and relationship with creation. Guilt and shame leads us to hide and blame. Guilt and shame will lead us to hide and blame. My dad says this a lot whenever he's talking about receiving truth from people or whenever we're giving truth. A lot of times we tend to, we just hide or we like deflect it. We're like, oh, well, you did this, you did that. Blame and hide, hide and blame, blame and hide. Have you guys ever heard him say that? If you haven't, stick around. He says it a lot. (laughs) And we'll just be hanging out as a family. And, you know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, well, they were supposed to do that. And it was like, blame and hide, blind and blame. You know, we always say that. But this, this was revealed to me while I was studying it. It says, guilt and shame will lead us to hide and blame. So when we're blaming others, there's a moment where we're just like, something's wrong here, but I'm just going to deflect that. I'm not going to take the truth for what it is. And maybe it's not completely the whole truth, but we need to reflect and see, God, where am I? Am I off on this? Is there any wisdom I can take from this? And yes, they were cursed. There were consequences for their sin. The serpent was cursed. The woman was cursed. The man was cursed. They had to leave the garden. And in that, God gave them a covering of animal skin. It's the first mention of death in the Bible where he, he, he covers them with animal skin. And from that time on until the New Testament, they had to meet with God. Instead of walking around in a garden, they had to meet with God, God at an altar. That's where they met with him in the tabernacle. The high priests would offer sacrifices, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. But what we're missing in all of that is the shame offering. So we can come to him, that brokenness, that separation of God and people were still there. So they had to have other people, the high priest, come and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Those altars in our lives, Abraham, Noah, they they built altars for sacrifice and they also built altars of praise. And looking back and saying, God, you are so merciful. You are holy. You've brought us this far so altars can be a time of saying, God, I, here, here's my sin. Here's my offering. But it can also be, God, thank you. Your faithfulness. You're so wonderful. The good news is that we're on this side of history. And when I say this side, I'm going to just think that the cross is here. Adam and Eve are here. We're on this side. We know how this thing ends up. 
Not only is that more exciting, I think, (laughs) but the fact is it gives us more responsibility too. When we have the Holy Spirit living in us, alive and active every day in the decisions that we make and places that we go, we have the ability and the, the joy of relationship with the Father all the time. We don't have to go to a tabernacle. We don't have to just go to an altar. We can make an altar wherever we want to. That fire pit, that's holy ground. That's an altar saying, Lord, thank you for bringing us this far. So if we have all of that, and we have the good news, and we live on this side of history, we should be a community, a church of truth and of love, of freedom and of hope. I didn't feel that way for a long time. A long, long time. Growing up in the church, I was obviously a pastor's kid. Rebellious is all get out. Um, (laughs) I was always curious, always asking questions, always wanted to figure things out for myself. I liked rules. I like a system. Um, That's how my brain's wired. I OCD, you know? I'm like, but this doesn't completely make sense. Like, I'm seeing all the rules here, but I'm not seeing the relationship. I'm not understanding the full thing. But then I was a risk taker. I was rebellious. I like to do things my own way. So try and put rules with a person that loves to do their own way and put them in one person. And it's like, what do I do here? <laughs> like, Lord, why, am I, why can't I understand this? One moment I would be so excited about who God has made me to be. And then the next moment I was broken in pieces thinking, God, I messed up. I messed up. How can you love me anymore? Okay, I'll just try and do this. I'll try and do that to try and get you to love me back. This went on through high school, through college, trying to find my identity in relationships, in sports, in my family, in the way that I looked. I was trying to find identity because I just, I was like, okay, God, like, I know that you're real, but, like, this whole up and down thing, I just, I can't handle it. I don't know what to do. Nothing that I tried, that I tried brought me healing. I was depressed, suicidal from a very young age. I dealt with it all the time. I was tormented. I really felt that way, and you might say that's a little extreme, but I don't know how else to tell you. I was tormented. I was beat down. I always felt like I just wasn't good enough. And that's exactly where Satan wanted me to stay. I repented often, but I never let the guilt leave. You know what I mean? Instead of confessing my guilt, I ran straight to shame, blaming everyone else, blaming the church, blaming my parents, my relationship for who I was and the mistakes that I had made. And yes, there was a point that something happened to me. I understand. We, we have shame because of choices that we make. But I will tell you, there is shame that is put on us by other people. I understand it. I've been there. It's been done to me. I feel what you're saying here. But let me tell you, there is, if there isn't a, a difference when shame, when we're born into an economic status, where we live can be shameful. How much money you have. 
We could go through verbal, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. Your spouse might cheat on you. Your business might go under. These are things that maybe you can't control, but they still bring shame on your identity. There's shame and circumstances that we have zero control over, and there's shame and circumstances that we absolutely have control over. Neither should be ignored, and both are severely dangerous. Because I did not tell people what had happened to me and what I was going through. I was in a church, yes, and I pray that the Lord always blesses that church, but I was in a place that I couldn't tell anyone. I never wanted to, to put a burden on anyone else. I didn't tell my family. I just didn't want that burden to be on anyone else. I thought it was my shame to bear. But that secret manifests. When you keep yourself in the dark and you keep secrets to yourself, they will grow into something else. That is why we're supposed to shine the light of the truth, this truth, on those things because that will bring it into the light and then we can deal with what we actually have instead of the shadow that's cast that we don't even know what to do with. I went on a road of a yo-yo Christianity where I was good three days and then horrible a lot longer than three days. Uh, (laughs) That's the nicest way to say that. Um, I wanted to be God's warrior princess, you know? I wanted to be like, yes, Lord, like I knew these things, but like in my heart, I just, I couldn't feel it. I felt a darkness and there got to be a point where I was constantly fighting and failing. I just gave in. I just gave in. I started to walk down the road of of self-sabotage. You know what I mean? Where you're just like deep down, you're like, well, I am a failure. So why don't I just live this way? You know, um, I couldn't fight it. So I owned it. I hearted my heart to an extent and I didn't want anyone else around me because then I just deal with it. I can feel, um, I'm the only one that would understand my guilt. I would, I couldn't drink enough to make me feel not guilty. You can't trick yourself into thinking that it's just so fun. You can try to, but there's going to be a time where that just sinks in, that going out and partying and living the ways of this world, that's just not enough. It's not going to cut it. It's only going to heap more guilt and more shame on you. And at the same time, I'm getting to the point where I was just feeling suicidal. Again, and this is when I was 22. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, it would be better for my family. It would literally be better for them for me not to even be here and me just do this on my own so they don't have to deal with this. But I will tell you that it is my family that ultimately, through Christ, of course, saved my life. Parents, side note, I would be going out and partying multiple nights a week and then I would still be at church on a Sunday morning no matter how many hours I'd slept. Because I knew that my parents set an example and expected us to be at church every single Sunday. And even though he gave, they gave us the freedom to not have to be there by the time I was 21, 22, I still showed up. Because out of respect for them and their, and their identity, even though I was struggling with mine, I didn't want to move into that. I was afraid to. Um, to, to bring disrespect on them. And because of their faithfulness, Because of their life in Christ. You think that just showing up every once in a while is going to keep your kids in church? You know, God can work a miracle all the time. But I will tell you, standing up here today, it is because of these two people on this front row 
that I am here today and God could make a different story. I don't know how else it would have showed up, but I will tell you it's because of that. I didn't know Jesus at that point. I'm like, God, where are you? But I saw it in them. I saw it in my family. We have influence, people. I don't care if you're a parent or not. I don't care if you're married or not. I don't care how many friends you have, but if you have one person in your life, you have influence. The power of the cross changes lives, flips it upside down. I was headed one way that way, like my dad says. I was going 180, and it just, whoom. Maybe not as dramatic as him. <laughs> but I will tell you that because of those things, and that he brought something in my life. He told me, Allie, choose a side. Quit doing both sides. Choose. You know me. You know my word. You know I love you. Stop living that way. You have to stop living that way or Go live that way and leave my name out of it. Stop disrespecting me and making this people over here confused about what Christianity looks like. I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I'm going to choose your side. Because that just scared the living daylights out of me. And he said it to me so blatantly. And two weeks later, a game changer moment, I was at Valley Christian High School. And that... (laughs) saved me because I knew my friend was a coach there, and she's like, Allie, come and sit and coach with us. And I was like, okay. I did not leave that bench for four years, and that was my divine rescue. He loved me so much, and even though those two weeks in between, I was like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose all of my friends. He's like, here, let me give you a place of influence. And when I didn't want to do it for myself, I changed Because I had girls under me that were influenced by the decisions I made, whether they saw it or not. The decisions you make have influence on others, whether you you see it or not. Little did I know that influence would be a huge part of this whole church. But he showed me it back then. The great thing is I just totally went rogue, and I don't know where I am. But... (laughs) (laughs) He is so faithful. Okay. And I don't know what, okay. Oh, gosh. So my dad, his first sermon was 10 minutes. Blew that one out of the water. talking, Erwin McManus, we saw a video not too long ago, and uh, he said, he's like, if this is the last talk I, you know, if this is, this could be the last talk I ever give, so it's going to be the best one I ever gave. If this is the last book that I ever written, it's going to be the best one I ever wrote. And I told my dad, I said, if this is the first and last sermon I ever give, it's going to give the, I'm going to give the best I ever had. He's like, Allie, do not take four hours of our time. (laughs) So uh, maybe I will. No. But there is good news. And in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the, before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away our sins. It only covered them at that point in the Old Testament. But your high priest, 
Jesus Christ offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, good for all time. Good news, people. It's good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Good for all time. See, through Adam's one sin, he brought condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness, dying on the cross, bringing a right, brings us a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person, Jesus Christ, obeyed God, no matter how hard it was for him, Many have been and will be made righteous. On the cross, he gave his life as a sin offering and a guilt offering, so we don't have to carry that burden anymore, but he takes it a step further. In Hebrews 12, 3, it says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. So he endured the cross. He paid our sin offering. He paid the guilt offering that the priest always had to do. But then he went a step further and he disregarded shame. He threw it off. He was stripped, mocked, spit on, completely naked and said, Here, whatever I have to do, Lord, the joy awaiting me to set this thing right. The thing that was broken in the garden, the shame that happened, the exposure when we're feeling so blocked off from God. I'm going to take that step. And I'm going to set this thing right, and I will do it for the joy. Not just the joy of sitting next to the Father, but the joy of setting our relationship right. Remember, shame is about broken relationship, but he scorned it. We no longer have the broken relationship part. We can go straight to the Father because he bridged that gap. Amen and amen. Jesus shamed shame. He considered it a joy. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is now through him that we can speak with the Father, that we can do those things, but it is the Holy Spirit. He says, now I'm leaving and I'm sending you something even better. That's the Holy Spirit in us. He convicts us. He guides us when we're feeling guilty. We need to talk about sin more, people. (laughs) We need to be aware of it. We need to stop hiding from the fact that we are in brokenness, but we need to tell them, if this is what you've done, then here is your solution. It is the cross. We aren't aren't speaking truth right now in this world. I feel like even in the the church, we're, we're, we're afraid to say this is what God says. Okay, you just, whatever you believe, whatever you do. No, but this isn't about condemnation. We're not trying to condemn them. We're trying to bring them hope and freedom and joy to a world that so desperately needs it. And yet here we are, and we have this thing with us every day. And how often are we opening it? How often are we trying to say, Lord, teach me your word. Let me remember things that I'm not even good at memorizing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what? Where did that come from? In conversation, let it flow. Let your lips be... Season with salt. Thank you, Josiah. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, but we have got to show this world what it's all about. (laughs) And if we don't believe it here in the church, how are they ever going to believe it? 
I think you guys can go ahead and come on up. If you don't, I might keep going. <laughs> and so today I need to ask you, what guilt do you deal with regularly? What sin so easily trips you up? It's okay to feel that way. Because that's called the Holy Spirit. And that is, that's actually good news that he's living in you and he's guiding you when you feel that way. But let me tell you, there's also false guilt in this world. I live in a, most of my friends are young moms. <laughs> Ever heard of the thing, mommy guilt? <laughs> Mom wars? Okay, there's, there's ideas that we have in our head that we have to be a certain way, that we have to do a certain thing. That's not guilt of God. That's guilt of society heaping it on you. We have to know the difference. If we've already come to the altar and said, Lord, I repent of what I've done. Um, I not only confess it, but we have to repent of it and lay it down at the altar. And when we walk away, if we still feel the guilty conscience days after, that's false guilt and that's from the enemy. He wants you to live in that. It happened to me for years. When you have a guilty conscience, it will block your boldness in Jesus Christ because you will sit there and you will be unbelieving of the fact that his scripture says, your sins are forgiven. They are behind my back. They're out of his sight. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They're out of reach, dear one. It says, I have buried your sin at the depths of the ocean, at the depths of the sea. They're out of mind. Rest in it. And when we sit there and we don't move forward, whether it's shame, shame that has been done to us, shame of who we are, shame of what we've done, shame of what is done to us, it comes in so many forms of being single, divorced, unable to have kids. We've had an abortion. We aren't able to live into what God has created us to do. Or we feel that way, lying, betrayal, stuck in addictions of pornography, alcohol, drugs, and the addiction of perfectionism, of who I am the worst. Shame is what we put our identity in. And if we put our identity in anything other than Jesus Christ, we are on sinking sand. But the scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is for freedom's sake he has set us free. And we are free indeed. He has restored the relationship with God, and, and we are not alone. When we feel alone, we are not alone. Never once did we ever walk alone. And we shouldn't do this alone. We should do this in community. We need to be a community of vulnerability, of honesty, of truth, and of love. I wish I had that when I was younger, and I will do everything that I can to create a space where we can have that here. And to be alongside of a staff where we have that. And we want everyone to be a part of it. We're no shame. It will darken the face of, of, of a child of God. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Psalm 34, 5. And as the band is going to play, never once.
let's just acknowledge how holy and merciful he is. <laughs> that he sent his only son. He loved us that much. It's nothing that we can do for him. It's not all of those things. First, we have to rest in the love that he has for us because he rescued us because he delights in us, Psalm says. He rescues me because he delights in me. Not because of anything that I've done for him, but when he rescues us, I guarantee you my life, you're gonna start doing things for him out of the overflow of our hearts. Let him lean down and pick up your face and just say, just look to me and you will be radiant with joy, my dear child. When you look to the Father, you can't have shadows of shame, of guilt, of sin on your face because you're looking to him to cleanse you, to bring light to you. So then you can be filled up so you can be light to the world around you. Let us come to the altars. These places aren't any special thing that anybody's done and there's just an idea that we're meeting with God here. He's gonna meet with us here and it's our holy ground of guilt, of true guilt, of false guilt, of shame done to us, who we are. I'm telling you, God has made you who you are for a purpose and for a reason. And it took me years to find that out. Psalm 139, he has made me wonderfully complex. Amen? How marvelous are your works? <laughs> when I'm driving people insane, that's what I say to myself. You have made me wonderfully complex. And he has. Because you are here, you have a story, you have a makeup, you have a passion, you have a divine purpose in your life, but we can't live into it until we understand that he's created us for that reason. So we come to the altars to lay everything down. Or just to say, God, thank you for bringing me here. <laughs> thank you for bringing me here today. You can do that at your seat, you can do it at home, you can do wherever you want, but I just want there to be an opportunity to do that here and to pray with each other. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Pray for one another. So just come, confess, repent, and trust that he is who he says he is. So often we sit here in our shackles of shame and I'm not even gonna use it. I have shackles over here and I just, I, I picture this idea of so many of us living this life. But when we accept Jesus into our lives, the shackles are undone. But sometimes, we've been sitting here for so long, we have muscle dystrophy. <laughs> These shackles are undone, and we're still not moving. He delivered us on the cross. You know that? It's our choice whether we take those shackles off. And decide to walk out of that prison cell that's been unlocked for us. And sometimes it takes saying, okay, Lord, you, you've made me fearfully and wonderfully. You say that you are my rock. You say that you are my truth. You say that you are my shield of faith, of love. You say these things. You say that you will be faithful, Lord. So I'm going to trust you and walk in that freedom. Repeat scripture to yourself because his truth will not return void. He cannot go back on what he says, everything he says, and there is truth. So if we repeat it to ourselves, you'll begin to stand up and rise up no matter how long it takes, but you will never know how long it takes until you stand up and try to walk out. 
He has delivered us for such, we were made for such a time as this. Let's walk in freedom and in thankfulness. And if you're not feeling the guilt or the shame or the things going on in our life, stand there and praise God for where he's brought you. And be there for the community of the people that are hurting to lift us up. I can invite you guys just to stand with me. Thank you for letting me go on my my things here. But I just, I'm so thankful to be a part of a place and of a church where we can just say, why not? Why not renovation? Why not year five be the best one yet? Why not? Why can't it be us? Take that rebellious spirit that he made me with and say, why not? Why can't we change the face of the city? Why can't we change Phoenix? With us, yeah, it can seem impossible. With God, all things are possible. But we have to daily live this out and spend more time than just two minutes and get our scripture of the day. We need to dive in and say, Lord, show me what you want me to know today. Show me people in this world that you want me to minister today. Our eyes open in a different way, and we will change the community that we live in. But it starts with confession. Because confession is humility and realizing that we need him. And we do. Every hour, we need him. So Lord, we just lift up this time. I pray if any word was spoken wrongly, you just cover that with your spirit, Lord. But I just pray just a sense of rain falling down on this place, Lord God, that if there are are chains and there are shackles that even need to be broken, if there's someone here that just needs you, that's just for Jesus, that come into their lives, God, that they will just step forward and tell someone about that, Lord, that you bring freedom, you bring truth, you bring life. I pray for those who, who know the deliverance, but yet we're just caught this weight, it says that when we don't confess our sins, it is day and night your hand is upon us and our strength is evaporated like the summer heat. Is there something we need to confess because we're just so exhausted that we haven't been putting you first and we're putting other people, other things first above you, Lord? Let us lay it down at the altar. Is there something that we're stuck in, the shame, the identity of who we are, what has been done to us or what we've done to other people? You have given me this verse, God, that says, you work all things for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. You can make a new story, God. Let us lay down our story in front of your cross and say, God, you make it beautiful. We love you, Lord. Let's just sing a song of praise and sing this song to you, Lord, who is forever faithful whether we're on a mountaintop or a battleground. We love you, Gord. We love you. Just come.